0: Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.
1: Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, August 6th. If it's a Thursday, that means it's time for another edition of Getting to the Point, our podcast series with our friends over at Aerobar, focusing on the importance of nutrition and fitness in the modern tennis game. We've been so fortunate to have so many exceptional guests on the show thus far. People such as Michael Russell, Jay Berger, Lauren Embry, uh, Bjorn Fritan, Angelo and more, and that trend continues with today's guests as well. As we are joined uh, by a tournament director, a really college tennis coach, do everything uh, throughout the tennis world in Bill Riddle, and you know we obviously talked to Bill about how he got his start in tennis, some of the really cool things he's done in his 30 years as a part of the sport. You know his advice about the importance of nutrition and fitness, and how players can get on top. You know, be proactive with their nutrition with their new fitness get on top of that so that they are producing their best tennis. And again, it's a fascinating conversation. I, I don't want to you know, take up too much of your time. Of course, there is so much going on around the professional tennis world. And as this is your place for the updates on the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world, I'm sure... A lot of you listeners are wondering what's going on. We covered a lot of the biggest topics going on yesterday. We talked about Palermo, recapped some of the action. I also talked to you about the US Open and you know how they uh, redid their pay structure in terms of what uh, the prizes will be, the cash prizes for all the participants in the event. They skewed this year's prize money uh, so that players who lose first and second round will get more money than they are accustomed to uh, given the lack of events while the players who have of course, have built up a little bit more equity, a little bit more, uh, I suppose, net worth in their lives, people such as the Djokovic's and, you know, the top contenders, the top 10 players in the world. Yeah, the purse offered for them at the top of the tournament is less, but I believe overall uh, the U.S. Open is offering 95% of the prize money they did last year. Uh, That's pretty impressive considering we're in the midst of a global pandemic, so talked a little bit about that yesterday, talked about some of the players who are announcing that they are actually in uh, on the U.S. Open, the players who have also announced that they plan on withdrawing because, of course, that's something that matters deeply to all of us tennis fans as we look forward to hopefully getting to see the action in New York. Uh, not too many other storylines developed overnight. There are, of course, a couple of other things to talk about. The USDA announcing the main draw wild cards for the U.S. Open, and, you know, I reported that yesterday. I was hearing that announcement was going to be today, so I suppose on a personal note, i uh, just happy to see that, you know i know that i have a source that works right that is one source who i can check up and say hey this source reliable and so you know those wild cards announced today of course we've yet to break down the safety and health protocols being put in place by the USTA in order for players and, you know, volunteers, tournament staff, everyone to participate in this event. And, you know, those those details, obviously very fascinating, you know, super uh, important for all of us as we want to know how feasible it is that this US Open ends up happening, that it's not going to be stricken by this pandemic. Uh, But of course, we are going to save that for tomorrow's show. Uh, That will be just the focus. And then, of course, preview Doing the Palermo action as we head into uh, the weekend, and you know maybe for our Patreon subscribers, now that we have live tennis sur- sanction uh, sanctioned WTA and ATP tour action ahead of us, we might get back to mini break podcasts on the weekend for you Patreon subscribers. So be on the lookout for that. Of course, the reason we were able to do these mini break podcasts Monday through Friday here at Crack Rackets is because of the support we get from our friends, of course, in today in particular over at Aero Bar. You know, Aero Bar's the only tennis-specific energy bar available out there. It comes in two delicious flavors in cinnamon, honey, oat, as well as chocolate chip. And in fact, today's guest, Bill Riddle, talks about how he's used Aero Bars to transform his body as part of that process and, you know, get himself in better shape. So you're going to be able to hear testimonial from him. But again, truthfully, those aerobars Bars are both delicious and, uh, you know, they, they – taste as though you're like am I eating candy is this a snack is this something recreational and you're like oh wait this is healthy and I can eat this and enjoy myself and feel better on the court and I'm not going to feel bloated and it's not going to leave this bad aftertaste I don't have to worry about it melting in my bag none of you you know all of you listeners can get in on that sort of product by turning to our friends at AeroBar you go to AeroBar.com use the promo code Cracked15 you'll get 15% off your order and again a huge shout out to our friends Mark AeroBar Smith, Andrew Golda for their continued help in putting on these Thursday Getting to the Point episodes. Of course, I also have to give a huge shout out to our friends over at Midwest Sports as Midwest Sports for more than 30 years has been helping tennis players around the globe by supplying them with the best tennis equipment in the business. You know the deal by now. They've got it all and their prices are going to beat all of their competitors. Best of all, their staff is intimately familiar with all of their equipment and it can help you find that perfect pair of clothing, perfect racket, perfect pair of shoes. That is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Just go to MidwestSports.com. You'll be able to find the entire arsenal. Yonix, Wilson, Babolat, head, shoes, racket, strings. You name it, they've got it. You'll find it on their online catalog. While you're there, you're going to order yourself up some gear. So save yourself 15% by using our promo code CR15. Not only will you get 15% off. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, a free can of Wilson extra duty tennis balls. uh, Also, as part of your order, Midwest Sports, wanting to ensure, again, alongside with Aerobar, that our Cracked Rackets fans look good, they feel good, so that they can play good. So, go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15, Aerobar.com, the promo code is Cracked15. With that being said, enough, uh, enough of the funny business. Without further ado, let's get to today's guest on our Getting to the Point episode, the one and only Bill Riddle
0: witness history at Roland Garros where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground tennis channel plus is your place to watch stream every court from your phone or smart tv live in hd Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it
1: now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Joining us on today's episode of Getting to the Point is a man who I can only describe as a do-everything in the tennis world. He serves as a tournament director, college tennis uh, coach, USPTA, elite tennis professional, speaker, tennis entertainer, enthusiast, you name it, he's done it. Bill Riddle, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
2: Great, man. How's it going?
1: Oh, it is going well. No complaints. Another day in paradise, right?
2: There you go. Yes. (laughs) In a worldwide pandemic,
1: right? Yeah, exactly. At this point, they're all blending together, uh, but in a good way. You know, having these conversations at least give me some sort of barometer. I'm like, oh yeah, I talked to Bill Riddle on a Wednesday, so like that's yeah. how I remember what day everything is. Uh, but of course, we are so excited to have you here on Getting to the Point, and I know chatting with Mark and Andrew couldn't be here today, but chatting with both of them, they were excited for you as a guest because, as I alluded to in the intro, there is no part it seems like of the world world of tennis no part you know whether it be the 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 business of it the industry of it just promoting the game in general uh that you are not a fan of and so I have to ask as someone who is equally enthusiastic about tennis for me you know it's how much the sport meant to me growing up of course there's a sentimental story I've shared before on this podcast I don't have to do it again now but curious for you how did you get so invested into this sport of tennis well I think probably just got kind of lucky um
2: i had a a car accident uh, way back uh coming out of high school and it turned my path uh, away from football and other team sports to uh to tennis and um you know staying connected with the right people and just kind of working hard and falling in love with all the, the little pieces of tennis not just being on the court but just the sport and the the atmosphere of it um you know, just kind of lucky, I guess. And here, thirty something years later, um, lucky enough to still be doing it as a as a job and a career, you know.
1: Mm -hmm. No, that's something I aspire to myself and for you, again, it's the various aspects of uh, tennis that call out you, whether it's serving as a tournament director, whether it's coaching. I believe uh, you coach a junior college right now as well. Uh, I believe it's Martin Methodist College that you are currently coaching, if my uh, research serves me correctly. And just, you know, again, to be invested in the sport in this many different ways, because whenever we talk about uh, tennis, it's truly a global sport, but it's also a sport that can be played at the local level as well all you really need is a racket a can of balls and to find a public court and you can go play yourself some tennis uh has that been your experience throughout your time with the sport that it truly is you know one of the few global sports out there that you just get access to so many incredible people
2: yeah you know this the world of tennis is so small um you know everybody in the in the sport kind of knows each other or knows of each other and at some point if you hang around long enough, you you kind of run into a, a lot of a lot of great people, and and I think that's kind of been my story is just continue to hang around and and you know try to try to give back and try to be relevant and try to you know try to absorb as much as I can and um you know you just just keep plugging along and, and hopefully I'll get to keep uh, keep down this journey and this pathway for another thirty something years.
1: Yeah, no, I completely echo that sentiment there. It really is. I Again, this is just another one of my random theories. I feel like the tennis players speak their own language, right? It's just you kind of go and you, you're on site at an event, and it doesn't matter where that event is, it's still a tennis tournament. And, you know, everyone's sizing one another up. I swear I can look at someone, look at their calves, and determine within three seconds if they're a legitimate <laughs> tennis player or not. And that's a skill I feel like every tennis player has. You're just like, oh, yeah, that guy's legit. Oh, no, that guy's, you know, you. You can just tell. There's a certain, I don't know, presence about that, and so I guess my question is, you know, what keeps drawing you back into the sport? What is it that leads you to pursue all these different paths?
2: You know, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't know if I want to ever do anything else. I mean, i yeah. I'm lucky enough uh, to grow up um, back in the you know 70s and and early 80s, and where you know everybody back then actually had multiple jobs and you know, you, I grew up kind of in a a country town and you hauled hay and you did things like that. And, and I mean, it was great work and made me kind of what I am today, but man, to be able to do tennis, uh, coach and teach and, you know, speak and travel the world literally. Um, I mean, I just couldn't imagine doing anything else. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And obviously again, it's, something you love to do, given that you have been a part of it for over 30 years uh, at both the, you know, the junior club, college coaching level. And, you know, there is something about coaching tennis that I think uh, because everyone who plays tennis to a certain degree of seriousness, uh, once you get, you know, you're looking for a summer job when you're 14, 15, 16, your first inclination, I'm going to teach a couple of lessons. I'm going to go, you know, uh, help people learn this sport that I love so dearly. It does feel like, again, because tennis is one of those individual sports, right? It's something where you're always pushing yourself to get better. And I feel like that applies even when you're on the coaching side, pushing yourself to be a better coach so that you're getting, you know, your students are doing better and better as well. Has that been your experience?
2: Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of cool because, uh, you know, you, you work with players and, you I think a lot of tennis coaches and tennis pros, they kind of hang their hat on that performance kid um, you know that that does well at a tournament, that wins tournaments, that gets you know ranking sectionals or nationals or whatever. And and I'm telling you, for for me, uh, having been there and, and kind of done that, there's there's no better feeling than just watching a beginner go from you know being able to just make contact to actually playing a point. And you know, I kind of made it a point uh, early on in the in my career was to to not necessarily specialize, but to be very diverse in what I do, because I felt like it would make me a better coach in the long run. And, you know, still to this day, getting to, getting to work with, you know, beginner adults or, or beginner kids and, and seeing them fall in love with tennis, um, man, there's just – for me, there's nothing better than that.
1: Yeah. No, and that's the sort of attitude that earns you the 2015 USPTA Pride of Tennessee Award or you know, gets you selected as Tennessee 2011 Tennis Professional of the Year because uh, you do have to be open-minded, right? Every player is going to be a little bit different. Everyone's going to train differently. And again, that's part of the reason we wanted to have you on the show today. As our listeners know, these episodes we do called Getting to the Point focus on the heightened importance of nutrition and fitness in the modern tennis game, and I guess to get started on that note as someone who has spent now, you know, multiple decades coaching at various levels of the game. Uh, you know, how has the sport shifted? Do you feel I guess let's start with this uh, central premise. Do you think nutrition and fitness play a larger role in today's tennis than it did say 15, 20 30 years ago?
2: Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, uh, I- I've noticed that just on, on my own journey in the last year of Trying to be better, physically fit and stronger, and um, just you know better decisions. But but definitely from our players. And and, and I think back to something that you um, know I was with Stevie Johnson's dad. Um, uh, gosh, this was at the Davis Cup down in in Alabama, uh, maybe like three years ago. And right when Stevie had kind of got onto a, and and th- this guy was you know an amazing athlete already, and he had just kind of ramped it up a notch and was. You know, all of his meals were kind of coming in and pre-planned. And when you think about these these players at the very top of the game hey. still trying to find that that edge or that added benefit from, you know, doing more with their diet. Um, I mean, I think about that story and then I think about a, you know, a conversation I had with Tim Wilkinson, who played, you know, years and years ago. Um, and, and he he told me a time he practiced with Jimmy Connors and you know, they they kind of rolled out of bed and, and met up at the courts. And one of them had a you know was finishing off a, a meatloaf sandwich. And you know, it's it's just a different mindset um, now than it was years ago. And I'm not I'm not knocking what they used to do. We all used to do a lot of things different, but it is so important now to just have that little bit of an edge. Um, and it doesn't matter what level you are, whether it's college or professional or just you know working with those those twelve year olds that are trying to do trying to, you know, play better tennis, uh, it, it works for everybody.
3: Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's Mark here. That that story you said about Stevie, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, he was one of our first uh, brand ambassadors, actually, with Aerobar. And, yeah, I mean, he had been, I mean, I think if you go back all the way to 14 and unders, you know, he was a top two or three junior in the country and then all the way, obviously, through ridiculous college career at Southern Cal, and it's, yeah, I mean, he reached out to us, you know, during an Australian Open, like, pre-tournament camp, and, you know, Mike Russell, you know, who's a brand ambassador, oh, yeah. and actually, and actually Marty uh, Fish were running the camp, and yeah, Stevie reached out because he was just then starting to really focus on nutrition, and, you know, you're sort of like, dude, you're one of the best college tennis players ever, and he just, you know, it, it hadn't been a, a huge priority yet, and you know, he was starting to see that, you know, now it was just, you know, everyone else was doing it. So it was kind of time for him to do it. So that's, that's cool that you, you know, kind of got to see that same thing. How about, uh, you know, sharing on your end, you know, how's, how's your fitness changed in the last year?
2: You know, um I, I've had that question several times. And, and I've also had this, uh, statement made that, gosh, I mean, if, if you can do it, because I'm trying to share this, this journey on, on social media and whatnot. Um, and, and really, you know, people say, look, if if you can do it, then I think I can do it, and, which is uh, the honest goodness tr- truth. And for me, it's just been this um, trying not to be uh, stupid, you know, with, with things that I put in my body and uh, j- just make better decisions and better, better choices. And you know, uh, everybody gets tired at the end of the day, especially if you've been teaching, teaching lessons all day. The last thing you want to do is go to the gym. But, you know, once again, I, I feel like I, I kind of got lucky. I, uh, right place, right time meeting, you know, the the right trainer who, you know, was pushed just enough um, and made the environment um, so inviting that, that you you wanted to be there. Um, and, and I've talked to, to tennis pros about this since this kind of happened for me and you know it's the same thing whether you're on a tennis court or in a gym or you know wherever you are as a coach or a motivator you know it's creating the environment knowing when to push knowing when to pull and um, you know I got pretty lucky in that and and, and I've, I've been staying on track and you know for me it's never been about uh, you know just losing weight I mean I've lost like 50 something pounds but it, for me, it was always just like, could I be just a little bit better today than I was yesterday? And you know, it's it's this journey that that luckily I'm on now, and and hopefully we'll stay on for a, a long time.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, that's I was explaining that a little bit to to Alex and also to Galb of just you know of why. I mean, obviously you've been a supporter of Aerobar for a while, anyways. But yeah, that I know just the fact that we're kind of nutrition focused and energy focused while you know while being healthy and doing it the right way that it you know it was a it's a nice you know nice synergy between the two how how do you um, you know how do you go about you know broaching re- that subject you know with your juniors or with your adults of of the importance of fitness or do you just kind of let them realize it's important
2: you know it's it's interesting because um, I think prior to social media, then, then coaches had to kind of like uh, bark at them and, and and you know, really kind of push a lot. Now, honestly, some of the reason why I put some of the stuff that I'm doing my workouts and whatnot on social media is because I know that our players are looking at it and they're like, well, if, if, if coach can do it, you know, if he's in the gym, well, then I, I don't have any excuses. I mean, you know, uh, I'm twice their age, um, and, and I'm, I'm getting after it. So, and I found that, you know, several of them have said, look, this, this is helping to kind of motivate me to instead of slacking off and, you know, I'm I'm going to get out there too. And I never really thought of it like that, but, um, you know, it's, it's what we do as coaches, uh, what we say, we, we always known that, but what we do as coaches is so powerful, uh, more powerful than what we, we we say a lot of times and just you know you got to walk the walk um, you know you don't have to go crazy about it but you know being in the gym, making good choices with what you put in your body and uh, those things they the players are watching uh, whether it's a college team or whether it's uh, your juniors they're, they're watching and uh, they make note of it and you know, sometimes it's easier to, to get them on board if you just if you just try to walk the walk,
3: yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, uh, I've i obviously, you know, always been pretty demanding of the kids that I coach. And as soon as I, whatever it was, five, six years ago, I ran a marathon for the first time. And then, you know, I didn't really have to say anything more to them. And they, they seemed to listen a whole lot more, um, which was which was nice. I wanted to ask you, um, I haven't had a chance to talk to you since. How did the uh, 50 new players in 50 days deal go?
2: man, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, it was it was it was a, a frustrating start because I had reached out to our USTA office, and uh, unfortunately, you know, they they weren't really on board with it, which blew my mind because I mean, this started with you know the USDA putting out there that um, they would like for us to all, all the teaching pros to to try to track fifty new players this year because they're helping with our our dues. Uh, if right. we meet certain criteria, and uh, so, for me, I just like I took that and wanted to kind of ramp it up a notch, and uh, you know they they said it didn't really fit into their box, and I thought you know I'm, this is this is why I'm going to do it, so I went after it, and we we got sixty eight new players in forty nine days, and. You know, I mean, the, the idea was to just introduce t- tennis to people, uh, get them on the court, uh, people who had never been out there or who had been off the court for, you know, a long period of time, 20 years or so, and, um, you know, it, it worked out great, and, and and several times I tied it into um, my, my gym, and I just went after that low-hanging fruit that was people who were, you know, already active, who had never been on a tennis court uh, our last day, I set up a, a makeshift court in the parking lot of our, our, our gym. And we had like, uh, eight, eight or nine people come out. Um, and three of them had never been on a tennis court and we did cardio tennis, uh, in the, in the uh, parking lot. And I tell you, man, it's one of the funnest days I've had in a while. And, you know, it made an impact. We're going to start doing it, uh, quite often, uh, you know, with the gym and with the people that come to the gym. So for me, it was a, it was a really good, um, uh, little journey and we're going to kind of ramp it up this fall and, and do another version of it where I'm going to actually play 50 sets with 50 different people in 50 days. Um, I'm kind of, kind of borrowing that from a buddy of mine, MJ Garnett, who, who started his own 50 and 50 when I did mine. And, You know, we just kind of brainstormed a little bit and and he he's doing the same thing down in Memphis. And, you know, I think together we, you know, we definitely can move the needle um, and we can do it on our terms and in our communities the way that we need to without, you know, some big national rollout from from an organization. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to what can we do as individuals in our communities to to grow tennis and to make it stronger. Nice.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I love it. We've you know, we've been talking, Andrew and I, a lot lately about, you know, the fact of, you know, we know Aerobar is good and it's a good product and people really like it, they use it and find results. And we've been trying to share and, you know, how do we pass along? I mean, what we've been passionate about forever, he and I is, you know, teaching tennis and impacting people's lives through tennis. And it's sort of, you know, trying to share that same concept with Arrow Bar. And so we've we've been looking at initiatives like that as well um, in our communities as well as in communities where, you know, brand ambassadors like you and other guys are. So, yeah, it's, we, we were definitely following the, uh, you know, following the 50 and 50 um concept quite a bit there which was awesome um when i was gonna ask when when was did your pro tournament get canceled or had it already happened this year
2: no we had we had run um uh, the collegiate series um uh, back a few years ago when when they were really making that push and um you know we we had some success The, the problem with that particular series of tournaments is you know, we we did not get any funding from the USTA to actually pull it off. The typical model is, as you know, they'll they'll give you some funds uh, to help run it. Um, so if you've got a twenty five thousand dollar tournament, they will help with the prize money, and you you know raise the other portions to pull sure. off the tournament. But for our event, I had to go out and actually raise fifty thousand dollars to be able to pay for the prize money and run the tournament. And you know. I, I, I am, I'm really glad that we did it and I'm glad that we gave it a shot, but, but man, it was really tough. Uh, I mean, it's tough for the, the normal circuit to, to pull it off. Yeah. Um, it was even tougher for, for the collegiate series. Um, but you know, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a, it was a good effort. We, we, I feel like we made some, some inroads in the community. Uh, I learned a lot, you know, from it and, and hopefully somewhere down the road, we can, uh, we can bring something else back to to music city.
3: Yeah, no, for sure. What, um, what other events are you involved in coming up or or, or in the next year or so?
2: Well, it's, it's, (laughs) you know, as, as everybody else, pretty much all of 2020 feels like it's just been, you know, tossed aside and looking towards 2021, honestly, um, we've, you know, we actually had to cancel and postpone our, our long-running Music City Tennis Invitational, which is a charity event that's gone on for 47 years, uh, raised over $2 million for local charities. Uh, you know, we had to postpone that and a lot of things. So we're just trying to, like, you know, get geared up for 2021 and and be ready to kind of hit the ground running with that. And I'm kind of looking forward to being back on an airplane and hopefully traveling and, and spending time with, with different people. Uh, my, my last trip was uh Norway and and LA and then the bottom fell out of everything and so I've kind of been grounded since then and just uh looking forward to getting back out and and seeing everybody you know
3: yeah my tournaments uh yeah I I was initially they're going to be the first week back April 20th was our uh week for our 15k this year and obviously here we are in August and there's still no pro tournaments so yeah I'm I'm in the same boat get, getting ready for 2021
1: yeah. I guess that's the best we can do you know Yeah yeah Now, I was going to say to follow up on that topic, uh, Bill, because, you know, for so many of these events, right, uh, just financially to not hold the event in 2021, and you sort of talked about it there, uh, the USTA oftentimes can supply support for these events. But, you know, more often than not, if you're trying to start an event, you're going to lose money the first year, no matter what. And, you know, you add that being the normal circumstances, trying to host any sort of event in the midst of a global pandemic there come all of these added expenses and so you know there's that as well there's also the fact that it was announced officially that oracle discontinuing the challenger series and so just curious your opinion you know when do you guys both think, and I guess we can start with you, Bill, and then go to you, Mark, that it will be possible to have ITF level events, you know, 15K, 25K, 60K, whatever it may be? Uh, because I feel like to ask these local hosts, you know, the local clubs to add, to eat the expenses of the added safety and health precautions that have to be put up during uh, a, a pandemic like this, that's just not a feasible thing for, you know, a 15, 25, 60K, really a non slam level event to do is is that fair bill well you know it's uh, you look at what just happened
2: the last say three weeks with world team tennis and and what they had to do to create a bubble and all the precautions all the extra time effort money uh and manpower to be able to pull it off in our our current um environment you know it's i don't I don't know that, that the average uh, person or club or facility or organization can do that. I mean, I've got an ITA college event coming up the, the middle of, of September and you know, met with our training staff yesterday with the school. And just, just the idea of getting people in and out from the players and the coaches safely. I mean, we spent three hours just talking about how we're going to do that. That's not even talking about – the fans or, or people coming in to watch this event at a facility that in my opinion is, uh, ideal for it, uh, at the Adams tennis complex, which is where, um, uh, middle Tennessee state plays, uh, their home matches. It's just going to be so tough, um, to be able to pull that off. And, 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 you know, when you factor in the money, uh, that it, that it costs to be able to pull off these events or prize money at the, at the challenger level and the satellite level, those, it's, I, I don't, I don't know how we, I don't know how we do that right now. Um, everybody's, um, you know, struggling financially. Um, it was tough when we were doing well financially uh, as, as a society, but now with everybody, you know, out of work and working from home and all these different challenges, I, I don't know how we can, it, it, it's going to be 2021. 20, uh, I even saw something that uh, Steve Simon said, we won't really return to what the tour should look like, to 2022 possibly at the WTA level. So, um, you know, I think it's going to take us a little while.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I had a meeting the other day, just kind of going over, you know, so my tournament would be end of April in 2021. So obviously there's quite a bit of time and it truly was, do I think it's even possible to be able to raise enough funds to just lose a little bit of money was yeah. was honest was honestly the question. And I mean, the reasons I've done the tournament in the past are, you know, I, I played a lot of these tournaments and some of them were great. Some weren't. So I wanted to make one that was great. And our members love to see it. And our juniors love to watch it. and We do housing and all that. And then also we raise a bunch of money for charities that I don't personally have that much money. So I have time and effort. So we raise money. So now it's looking at it going, can I put in all the same amount of effort still have people enjoy it and write a check for zero dollars to one charity and zero dollars to the other charity yeah uh, it's it's not it's not
2: good I think I think most people uh, even tennis people don't realize what it takes to to run a tournament at at that level um the 25s the the 15s the, the 60s I mean You have to absolutely love tennis or have somebody that is willing to just you know write a check for it uh and not look for anything back because they're it's hard to get any kind of return it's hard to break even much less get a return on it
1: yeah for sure no i i completely agree with both of you guys and you know, this is not going to be a new concept to some of our listeners. It's also not an original concept. It's one that's been floated around a couple of places. And again, uh, I'll ask you to answer first, Bill, and then Mark, I am curious still on your thoughts as well. But obviously, Mark, you know, you and I were 12 weeks in, I know your thoughts. Um, But so, you know, just to go there, uh, Bill, you know, this idea of because at a certain level, if you want tennis to be a healthy sport, you need it to be played at all levels. It can't just be the slams coming back. And even if junior and college tennis are put on hiatus until we get a uh, control of the situation here in the United States, internationally, there's going to be a demand for the ITF tour to resume for As you mentioned, you know, the the players ranked outside the top 100 to have opportunities to earn income for themselves, to build back up their rankings, to try and get the tour going once again as normal. And an idea that's been proposed is, you know, because of all the effort it takes to host events, because of how difficult it is to accumulate that amount of resources, is to make the tours regional uh, until we come up with a vaccine, until we are able to return to, you know, the the normal safety and health that come along with pre COVID society, you know, whether it be for North America, you set up three, you know, uh, four events over six weeks in Orlando, or you pick a random city, you do the same thing in Europe, in Asia, in Australia. It feels like that's the only way to do it. As you mentioned, much like world team tennis, where they were able to secure the Greenbrier in New York for these three weeks, they're able to secure the Billie Jean King uh, National Center. It feels like that's the sort of facility you're going to need to play any sort of event. And then I I guess the question just becomes, you know, financially, is it feasible for these tennis federations to host these large scale regional events? I don't know. I guess my question to you, Bill, is what is the feasibility of that?
2: Well, you know, I, I think, uh, uh, a few, about a month back, they started off with a, uh, a men's event down in Florida on a private court that seemed to go. It was a, like a UTR kind of a shootout. Um, you know, UTS over at, uh, Patrick's Academy in, in Nice, France. Uh, I've been catching some of that. That's been, looks like it's going well. Um, you know, they did a, a pop-up kind of an event in Atlanta uh, a few weeks back. And, and so what I'm, what I'm seeing is these, these entrepreneurial, you know, clubs or pros or tournament directors finding a way and, and, and partnering kind of with UTR a lot, uh, finding ways to just kind of pop up these, pro semi-pro events and which is actually kind of cool because I mean, there are things that uh, haven't been going on before. It's, it's kind of a uh, new blood it's, it's needed. Um, you know, some of the players are getting to play. I mean, it's a, it's an opportunity. I, I think more and more of those are going to pop up. I know we're working on uh, an event this, this fall, that will be a world team tennis format, uh, you know, playing for a thousand bucks. So, I mean, little things like that, I think are going to continue to pop up and hopefully help us maybe, you know, keep keep paddling and keep our head above water with the sport uh, until we can return to what is a, a normal or a normalized kind of a tour. But, uh, I mean, you're starting to see that regional stuff. I mean, Australia's got UTR regional events going on. Uh, I think Palermo is going on right now, and it looks like it's going pretty good. So, I mean, I think people are trying to do stuff. I mean, outside of the – The kind of the debacle that happened with uh, Djokovic event, but you know, once again, I think people learned from that. You know, and trying to keep the players and people safe uh, has got to be first and foremost. And seems like all the small events that are popping up since that one have done a
1: much better job of of trying to keep people safe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I was going to say, Mark, do you have anything to add to that?
0: Yeah,
3: no, I mean, and I, I mean, I've even had some conversations recently. Um, I mean, I, I know that some of the college programs are going to be pretty, you know, have some pretty tight budget strings um, definitely in the fall this year. And I mean, I know some of even the biggest programs are going to be doing some, some localized UTR events in place of traveling all over the country for ITA events and, you know, All-Americans and such. So I I think it – I think that stuff may wind up sticking and actually being a a big part of the calendar for junior and college stuff. Hey, I would love for, you know, the Florida State Closed Tournament to become, like, a really big tournament again, you know. And there's no reason it shouldn't. There's great players in the state, but everybody was always looking – Well, I'd rather go national, and then I'd rather go international, and then I'd rather do this. And you know, I think there's definitely ways to make things regional and still be, um, maybe even be more successful.
1: No, again, what what's clear is uh, throughout this period, it's forced tennis to get creative, and the product of that creativity has. Certainly not been objectionable. There's been a lot of things about it that I think can be applied to tennis moving forward. Again, whether it be things as small as should there be a larger role of for events such as World Team Tennis, UTS, where players can have fun, you know, kind of extend outside of the normal comfort zone. Um, actually, I guess let's go there next, Bill. Curious what you thought about that, just the various exhibition play, the various styles, you know, the different scoring. Do you think there's a place for that in the larger tennis ecosystem? well i've i've always been a
2: a huge fan of world team tennis i mean going going way back i I was lucky enough to to work with them back in the the mid 90s and and i've always been a fan of of you know getting tennis out of the the traditional Uh, even though i mean i'm i'm the guy who still wears a collared shirt to teach in because i can't i can't go out there in a t-shirt um but yet i want to see us kind of get away from some things so like uts Uh, you know, watching what they're doing over there at at the academy has been a blast. I mean, it's fun, it's fast, it's you know, know, it's it kind of fits in with people's attention span. And, um, you know, so I think, yeah, trying some of those things, uh, and and seeing if they work, and it looks like they they are. Um, these round robin events where you play a set and and move on, and you get a lot of variety in a short window of time. Um, I mean, you got to remember uh, a human's attention span is shorter than a goldfish so you know we got to find ways to, to to be able to make it fit and, and bring bring attention to it so you know changing up the format changing up the scoring system a little bit and do, doing something different um I, i'm all i'm all for it and i think i think it's it's showing right now that it's, it's working to some extent you know
1: Yeah, no, and my follow-up to that would be, and I guess, uh, you know, again, Mark, I want you, sorry to keep boxing you out, but um, do you think it's developmentally harmful? For young players, you know, to have them switch to play a couple of years of no ad. And, you know, the majority of players, uh, if they're playing college tennis, it's not like they're going to be playing professional tennis afterwards. They're using it as a mechanism to be, you know, to further their education. But for those who do harbor pro aspirations or even want to go play in college and are playing at the junior level, do you think such as no ad scoring or the changing from, you know, a full third set to a third set breaker, do you think that, you know, harms people's developments? I mean, I don't, when when I look at the kids uh, and, and I, and this
2: is a you know comment that I've made to, to parents and kids, you know, you go back to like transition balls to a yellow ball and you got that good kid who's like 12 that or 11, something like that. Who's like, ah, oh, I should be always hitting on a yellow ball. And I'm like, well, you know, there's all these things you can't do. So let's try it with a, a slower ball where you can develop, uh, whether it's, it's you know, changing the ball or changing the format or changing the scoring system. You know, good players, athletes, you know, those that are committed will adapt and find a way to make it work. Those that are looking for excuses, they just won't. Um, you know, I mean, this this past spring, even though we didn't get to really play it out, um, NAI switched and we were all playing uh D one college rules for my men. So which means we're we're playing the lets and and we're not warming up with our opponent, you know so going from what we've done for years and years at the NAI level to now playing all of our matches uh, just like the D1 players are playing, it, it was a it was a, a big shift and I mean our first match we went uh, up into Knoxville and played um, Carson Newman, a D2 school indoors kind of at altitude and with that new scoring format and the, the no warm up man we it, we were shell shocked and rocked quickly and um i mean yeah on the scorecard it looked bad but i think it opened our players eyes to what we've got to be able to do uh come out be ready to play uh, earlier you know i'm not going to have to i'm not going to have the time or the luxury to to always you know work my, my way into the match sometimes i got to be able to to go and so you know i think i think that you have to be able to to adjust and some of these things are, are forcing us to adjust a little bit and get us out of our comfort zone. And, and, and I'm okay with it, honestly.
1: Yeah. Mark, curious, your thoughts on these topics.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you know that, well, actually like, today was uh, my last practice with two of the guys before they leave for their freshman year, one at UNC and one at um, University of South Carolina. And yeah, I mean, when, when we switched them over to playing let's, And playing no ad in practice, I mean, honestly, it was maybe five minutes of acclimation period and then you're good with it you know, you kind of know you're going to have to do it, so you just do it. You know, know, it's, whatever their reaction would have been, you know, the answer would have been, well, these are the rules you're playing in college tennis, so, you know, that's not up for debate, so I don't think how you handle it should be up for debate, but. That's, yeah. that's just me. No, you know, I think
2: I think we're in a really interesting period here. Um, if I can, just yeah. with with the pandemic, it, it, you guys probably have noticed. There's a lot of people back out on the tennis court because you're instantly, uh, you know, socially distant from from your opponent. You know, uh, golf and tennis have seen continuous play, continuous growth of just casual play throughout this entire process and. And I think we're in a really unique situation right now in the tennis industry that we could capitalize on these people that are back out on the tennis court for whatever reason. Uh, You know, I I realize they don't have other sports that they can go do because team sports are kind of shut down. So we have this amazing opportunity to capture, uh, you know, kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. And if it means that we have to adjust the format to, to fit into what their attention span is, uh, the hard part is a little bit over. We got them on the tennis court. We got a lot of people out on the tennis court right now. Let's, let's do something to really attract them and, and, and keep them out there on the court, even when this pandemic is over and even when there's a, a, you know, a, a cure for it and we're, we're back to whatever normal is. We want these people still playing tennis and, and being, being real tennis players. So we, we got an opportunity here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And in your opinion, uh, Bill, does that start at the local level that starts right with the outreach that clubs can do on their own?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tennis pros, tennis coaches, ultimately at the grassroots level. I mean, you know, I'm not knocking the USGA, but for many years they've thrown money at, at programs with, with fancy names and, and slick ads and whatnot. And the reality is it comes down to tennis coaches and tennis pros at, At every grassroots public park and club getting on board and looking beyond just the lessons that they can teach and the money they can make there into attracting people to play tennis on a regular basis you know whether it be in a in a league a team round robin stuff whatever it is getting them to play tennis on a on a regular or semi-regular basis um that's that's the key to us continuing to 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 grow the sport of tennis mm-hmm.
1: No, for sure, absolutely. I, I think that's so important. and Yeah, you know, we we at Crack Rackets, we talk all the time about it, the way pro tennis can reach out to fans. But simply put, the the more you play tennis, the more likely it is that you are going to want and watch the sport professionally. And it's just this trickle-down effect where the more people that are playing, the more people it is that will be likely uh, to become fans of the sport. So I completely agree with you there. Uh, again, I, a couple fun questions for you. You've been so kind with your time, Bill, and then we can let you go. I know you, I believe, Believe have two uh, two children as well who both play tennis. Uh, for you, a did you coach your children? Because I know I believe they were both high school state champions. And B, if that answer was yes, was were those your probably two most difficult students? <laughs>
2: um, y- yes, I, I, I was. Uh, I'll go back to being lucky again. Um, both my kids uh, were left-handed. Uh, nobody in my family or my wife's family are, are lefties. Uh, so it was really interesting, um, but but I think I had an easier time of it because two two reasons. I I also coached them in soccer and baseball and basketball and you know we would play golf together and we we you know did a lot of different things together. Um, so they they always kind of knew that dad was the coach and but I was you know always kind of fair. They always knew that mom was the one who might get thrown out of the place cause she would lose her mind. <laughs> um, and, and that's okay. Cause we all got roles to play. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, I enjoyed it and, and I never found it to be challenging. I and mean, I even coached my daughter, daughter on our zonals team and my son, uh, you know, playing world team tennis nationals and different tournaments. and Now he's playing for me at, at Martin Methodist. And I mean, yeah, yeah, there's there's challenges, but but I think the other part that made it easy for me, you know, they were always around the club, they were always traveling with me, and they were always around other other coaches, um, and and teaching pros, from 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 here to there, I mean, they were always with me. So they they understood tennis and they understood coaches, and you know, uh, it's funny, they, they even occasionally I would be doing testing, uh, for USPTA or the PTR for many years. And, and, uh, they would be, you know, Guinea pigs when some of these pros would come in to take their, their certification test. And so they got to kind of see all the different levels of coaches and whatnot. And I, I never pushed actually my, my wife would always kind of get onto me because I, I wasn't pushing hard enough for their tennis, but, um, once again, I mean, she had the role of the crazy parent to play and I was trying to be the, the, the sane one. So, um, I hope she doesn't listen to this, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I, I kind of took a different approach and was lucky in that they got some experience with, with other coaches and I, I wouldn't trade those experiences, um, coaching the kids in, in any sport, uh, for anything, just cause it was, it was our time together. And, um, we always
1: kind of had a, a, a nice balance. I felt like no, that's awesome. I, yeah, in uh, in my house, uh, the rule was if it was a big match, you know uh, dad would come if it was a regular match, mom would come because she'd get too stressed out and then you <laughs> know I, I'd always be like, okay, like it doesn't I'm gonna smile no matter what, but you guys do what you have to do. Uh, yeah, you know, whatever works works. I completely agree with you there and you know, again, home stretch, you've been so kind with your time, but in terms of your coaching experiences, Would you say there, you know, what are the biggest changes in your coaching philosophies uh, over the past 20, 25, 30 years as the game has changed? Have you, you know, changed the way you teach your kids, whether it be the fundamentals, whatever it is to adjust to the demands of the modern game. Um, you know, I think, I think I've always tried to stay true
2: to this one core aspect of, of every time I'm on the, I'm on the court and, um, whether it's you know uh, junior team tennis or my college players or you know spending some time with uh you know like gabby dubrowski uh, when she came to nashville on uh, for our pro tournament i mean at, at the core of every player they want to have fun you know and if and if you can find a way to balance the 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 fun and the funnel meter that that we all have um, if you can find a way to balance that with the serious stuff the technical stuff the 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 skill acquisition and the the the, uh, understanding the strategies and all those different components that we we try to get across to our players finding the balance to that is is the most important part of this whole process and and i think i've i've always tried to be very mindful of of that balance you know uh because if you if you tip one way or the other or you add a little too much, it's, almost, it's like making a stew, man. If you put too much salt, it tastes bad, you know, too much of this and it, it's not so good. And so, I mean, I kind of approach it uh, like I'm trying to make a really good soup,
1: you know. Yeah, no, that sounds not only uh, very feasible, but also very delicious. You know, no one likes <laughs> a salty soup. Uh, so no, that's a, that's definitely a win in our book. Well, again, uh, based off of that, and you, you don't have to go too far in depth. Just curious, your opinion, yes or no, in the modern in the modern game. Again, given the way the direction of the sport has gone, in the men's game in particular, to succeed at the highest levels, to be top twenty, top ten, a slam champion, you're gonna have to be six four or taller uh to have that level of success. Do you think that's true or false? Oh, man. Uh, only a yes or a no? Uh, no, 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 please. You, go uh, in depth. Take it away. You know what?
2: You know what? Uh no if you're if you're if you're willing to be athletic and and suffer, you know? I mean, you you have to be willing to to be an all-around athlete cuz you you look at these these players nowadays uh, and they I mean, who would ever thought you'd see them slide as much as they do on a, on a hard court? I mean, Mm -hmm. mean, you got to be crazy athletic nowadays to, to be able to play at the highest levels. And that's what you're seeing. I feel like, um, I mean, yeah, definitely size, uh, matters, um, and it's helpful. Um, but I think what we're seeing is that the big guys, um, are just better athletes than they were 20 years ago, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Opelka, Hercots, Hachnov, Medvedev, Zverev, even Ctipas, I think, slides in right around six four. All of them, gigant, you know, gigantic humans. All of them, crazy fluid, crazy athletic as well. So. I agree with you. I just think, you know, I, I like to throw, float it around there because I think it's an interesting question for everyone. Um, again, though, uh, you know, you've been so time with, uh, kind with your time, coach. So really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. My final question for you because I know you're a big AeroBar fan: Cinnamon Honey yeah. Oat or Chocolate Chip? They're both in front of you. What flavor are you going with?
2: Ah, uh, you know, I'm gonna go chocolate chip only because in my mind I feel like I'm I'm treating myself. A little bit. i'm, I'm being just a, I'm being just a little bit naughty. Um, but I'm telling you, I kind of switch back and forth because i I have just grown uh, accustomed to you know putting good stuff in the body and and the the energy that I get out of it. So uh, I, I'm gonna go either direction, but but
1: you know, probably that chocolate chip. Oh no, it's a win-win certainly. And that's good. You'll hear both sides because I'm a cinnamon honey oat guy. I just think anyone can make a chocolate chip bar and not to do, you know, you know, Mark and yeah. Andrew if you listen to this, I love you both and I do yes. like the chocolate chip <laughs> chart. I just think cinnamon honey oat I just think it's a deli- I just think it's particularly delicious. I take a bite and I'm like, "Oh my god. Like this must just be some sort of random, you know, granola bar that I'm eating and it's like, "Oh no, this is actually not, you know, this is healthy for me. I'm going to eat this again." Yeah, actually, I got a question from Mark. Can can we get a, a
2: snickerdoodle flavor? <laughs> I mean, isn't
3: that much cinnamon? Well,
2: <laughs> I, I mean, I get either that or can we get birthday cake flavor? <laughs> I'm asking for not, a friend.
3: So again, you just want it to be healthy and feel like
1: you're eating dessert.
2: <laughs> yeah, feel, feel like I'm being I'm being wrong, you know, but I'm really being right.
1: Yeah, can That's you just make like a, like a banana split flavor? No, <laughs> we have a couple.
3: Um, we've had a couple pro tennis players that use the bars comment on the fact that it, it, they taste like they shouldn't be allowed to eat them. Yeah. And that is, that is a good thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. It's concerning that something this good is actually that nutritious. Um, I agree with you there. And again, uh, we are so grateful bill for your time, uh, taking the time to speak with us for our friends who want to learn more about you. uh, Where can they follow all of your work? uh instagram uh bill riddle tennis uh mm-hmm. or
2: on facebook bill riddle tennis um i'm gonna put my myspace account back up pretty soon so they can find <laughs> you know, i'm just kidding I, w- I won't do that uh but no just uh,
1: on social media i'd love to uh, love to connect with people so uh, awesome well then bill again thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us hope you and your families are staying safe and healthy and you know hopefully we'll get the chance to speak with you again soon Awesome Alex, thanks buddy. Mark, good to good to talk to you man.
3: Yeah man, thank you.
1: Take care. Right. See you guys. Hope you enjoyed our conversation with Bill Riddle. And again, a huge thank you to Bill for taking the time to chat. A huge thank you to Mark and Andrew over at Aerobar, as always, for helping to set this up. Again, I think this is a recurring theme, obviously, on this topic. But it's quite clear that in 2020, fitness, nutrition, health, Put um, you know more of a premium on that for a professional tennis player, for any pro athlete, for all of us just in general than any probably prior time in the sports history, uh, and of course with play returning after a five month hiatus. We're gonna see which of these players took their nutrition seriously, which of them took their fitness seriously. Who comes to back and shoot uh, tour back in shape? Who's gonna be playing their way back into shape, and how difficult is that going to be? Again, given how short a time span everyone has to get in all of their professional matches during this 2020 calendar year, and so again, it's always fascinating the discussions we have here on getting to the point. A huge shout out to Bill as well as the Aerobar Bar crew for making that happen. Of course, we've had so many great conversations here at Cracked Rackets as of late. This week, was able to bring Mark Lucero back on the show to recap the 2020 World Team Tennis playoffs and season, give out our award winners as well. Of course, we've talked about all the action in Palermo, and hopefully you listeners are getting in on the action as well by listening to our GSP Ace of the Day segment brought to you by our friends at DraftKings. Of course, on the interview front yesterday, we released our conversation with nc state men's tennis all-american alexis Galarno. we've also got so many great interviews from our time down in miami and nicholasville at a couple of exhibition events you missed those you can listen to some of them on podcasts the rest of them on our youtube channel and of course this podcast the great shot podcast the cracked interviews podcast the inside out podcast we implore you go like rate subscribe review to each of them leave us a little bit of a comment and of course you feel the need to reach out to us, feel free to on twitter instagram facebook or youtube we're at crack rackets you want to message me directly i'm at great shot pod shout out as always to the super producers max fliegner and daniel Westa for the <laughs> of an ending job they do day in day out very easy for me to talk into a microphone much more difficult to make it sound coherent they managed to do that and so perennially we will say to them bravo, my friends. Also, huge bravo to our friends at Aerobar. Go to Aerobar.com. Use that promo code Cracked15. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. And again, we're just trying to help ensure all of you Cracked Rackets fans look good and feel good so that you can go out on the tennis court and play good. I have been playing a lot of tennis over this past week. As I have mentioned, our GSP co-founder, my doubles partner, partner in crime, Max well, Bauer Rothman in Indianapolis this week, we've been hitting at 8 a.m. each and every morning. My body's hurting folks. You know, it's funny because I'm still 24 years old and I very much acknowledge that, you know, I'm still at, if not. I can recapture close to my physical prime, probably in a way now that even three, four, five years from now will be much more difficult. Certainly, once you're over the hill at 30, you know, athletic prime, none of us are LeBron. Uh, You know, only LeBron hits his prime post 30 at this point. For the rest of us, normal humans, uh, it's a little bit more difficult. That being said, my body is broken. I have back pains. I have hamstrings that hurt. For the first time ever, my forearms are tingly. I'm like, it never used to hurt to hold a racket and swing for X amount of hours. I could play eight hours a day for six straight days. That was my summer routines when I was 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. And now my body's broken. Now my hand looks like it's been beaten because there are so many blood blisters on them. It's just it's devastating folks and that's because you know i didn't switch to aerobar until these past 3 weeks they probably switching to aerobar every morning gives me the boost i need to want to return to the tennis court uh, but certainly again I, I didn't have my grips right all this stuff you turn to midwest sports aerobar your experience will certainly be better than mine although i will say my level of play pretty satisfied with that it's the other stuff it's the recovery it's how i feel at night i mean Again, folks, things hurt that I was like, oh, yeah, that is a muscle I'm using while I'm playing tennis, and I had just forgotten about it, but my body evidently does not want to let me forget about it, as I, of course, do not want to let you forget, like, rate, subscribe, review all of the podcasts. But with that being said, for our super producers, Max Ligner, Daniel Westoff our friends Andrew Smith, uh, Andrew Golub and Mark Aerosmith over at AeroBar, our guest, uh, the wonderful, wonderful Bill Riddle our, and of course, our friends at Midwest Sports and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Krusk. And you know what we say, folks? That's the break. And we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.